It's time for another episode of Rainmaker for Contractors. Interviews and success stories with million-dollar-plus basement waterproofing and foundation repair owners. Discover how they market and grow their companies in today's economy. Hear directly from the most successful leaders in your industry. With your host and Rainmaker for Contractors owner, Bill Crawford. Hey, welcome to Rainmaker for Contractors podcast. So glad you've taken time out of your schedule to join us. Today, we have a colleague of mine that I've known for several years through the Basement Health Association, Chris Brown from Rescon Basement Solutions. Chris, welcome. How are you doing today? Good. How are you, Bill? I'm, I'm awesome. Thanks. I'm excited to spend some time with you and talk. Hey, can you can we just start out and can you talk about uh, kind of your company, what areas you serve, uh, what services you offer, maybe how long you've been in business? Sure. Um, so my partner and I started the company back in 1996. Um, back at that time, our primary goal and objective was to service the commercial concrete restoration market, which is actually how we derived the name RESCON, Restoration of Concrete. Ah. Um, so we, we figured out pretty quickly that we were too small to really service that market as <laughs> service that market well. Um, so through the course of just learning and, and offering products and services, we started doing a lot of um, concrete crack injection in residential homes, um, which led to us getting involved with basement interior drainage systems. So over time, we shifted the business away from the commercial market and really focused heavily on the residential basement waterproofing market. Um, we've been doing that exclusively now since right around 2000. So um, for the past 20 plus years, we've been heavily, heavily focused on the residential basement waterproofing market. Um, we do basement interior drainage systems sump pump systems, dehumidification systems, foundation crack repair, carbon fiber repairs, um, wow. bulkheads and egress windows, and concrete cutting and removal. You've really evolved as a company. That's a unique story. Many people buy into a franchise or distributor and they just do what the program is. So it sounds like based on what you're good at and what you're not good at and where the market was, you really totally change your model from commercial to residential. That's cool. Yeah, we did. And, and it's not, I don't, I don't think many companies go that route where they go from commercial to residential. Um, and I think it actually made us really strong. I, I think one of the things that kind of comes through and how we operate is, is a higher level of organization and professionalism that's really required of you in the commercial market and, and working with engineers and architects and larger you know, property management firms who were coming in to work in a parking garage or some large structure, you've, you've got to bring your A game. And we brought that same A game to our residential customers. So I think it's really resonated well um, with our customer base. And one of the reasons why we probably have done as well as we have over the years. Nice. So what market are you in and what are the foundations like in your area? So we're in New England. Um, our, we, we service from Boston north up into the lakes region of southern New Hampshire, um, then out to the seacoast and into the western Massachusetts, Keene, New Hampshire area. So it's a pretty big, big uh, 
a lot of area, a lot of people. Um, most of our foundations, we have a wide range of foundations. You're, you've got homes that are brand new with, you know, poured in place concrete foundations. And then you've got homes that are 200 years old that are stacked stone and field stone and just, you know, you, you look at them and wonder how they're even still standing. Um, wow. But so we, we run the gamut when it comes to types of foundations. Most of it's um, those two, poured concrete and um, stacked field stone. We don't get into a lot of block foundations. There's not, it's not like the Midwest where there's just tons of block foundations. We sure, sure. You know, one of the advantages, I think, of knowing different waterproofers throughout the country is like, I'm in the Chicago area and every now and then we would come across some like field stone house or just something bizarre. So it's always so helpful to be able to call someone on the other side of the country that deals with these kind of problems like day in and day out. So Yeah, we're, yeah, we're dealing with field stone foundations every day. Wow. I, I, I would say our... our sales team is easily looking at a few of them a week and our, our installation crews are dealing with them <laughs> weekly as well. Well, let me digress uh, for a, just a moment. Are you able to kind of summarize how you might treat that foundation differently than your typical foundation? So um, the biggest thing with the Fieldstone, um, A, they don't typically have any type of footing. There, there is no footing. These, these foundations are built from ground up. Um, and one of the biggest factors we emphasize is making sure that we're not impacting the zone of influence below that foundation wall at all. So we, get, we talk a lot about um, with the installation crews, understanding what the zone of influence is, where it is. So our trenches end up being a lot wider that we move them away from the foundation wall. We're using a lot of drainage matting um, because of just the, the contours and the heavy flows of water that you can get through these stacked stone foundations. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it becomes a tough and challenging problem when you get into vapor barriers and, and, and how you treat walls to cut down on moisture transmission into the space itself. Um, critter control is a big thing. <laughs> you know, because you get these big, huge gaps and, and filling those in. So we get into doing some tuck pointing and, and some wall coating work to try to make them prettier. Um, but it's a challenge. It's definitely one of the more challenging foundation types. And there's not a lot of good answers out there in terms of... Man, it, I have to chuckle because it one of the incidences uh, I had when I owned my waterproofing company is you know, kind of exactly what you're saying. We treated it like uh, we're putting in a drain tile system and dug out next to the wall on the inside and partial wall collapse. It was, you know, total nightmare. They're not the same. Hey, when you're, when you're in a home, how do you treat or how do you position yourself differently in front of the homeowner? Like what's super unique about Rescon? So, so I'd say one of the most unique things but there's a few but i'd say one of the biggest is our um our dedication and commitment to using cutting as a removal tool for um creating our interior drainage trenches hmm. um coming from the commercial background it was always taboo to just drop a demo hammer into the floor you you needed to cut the concrete first 
create that break between the concrete that you're removing and the, and the concrete that's remaining to avoid microfracturing and, and impacting the remaining slab. So we, we brought that technology um, or, or that process to the residential market. Um, I'd say we're one of the only companies out there committed to cutting every single job. Um, nice. And, and it really ends up in a, it, it's, it, I think customers can see the advantage of it. We talk about the advantages of it, why it's such a benefit to them and their home. Um, and it, it looks great. I, I mean, the, these trenches are nice, straight, clean edges. Um, it looks really good when it's done. Uh, one of the biggest things we hear in terms of the cons of it is that that jagged edge that the, the jackhammering creates locks the concrete together. Um, I can assure you that new concrete and old concrete doesn't bond <laughs> together, no matter how jagged that edge is. It, yes, there's an integral bond, but ultimately, you know, we place the concrete and it, it's two, three inches thick it's not going anywhere when we're done. We'll make sure that the trench is solid. So uh, we don't have any problems in that regard. We've been doing it for 20 plus years. So I, I think if we had problems at this point, we would probably have changed that by now. Absolutely. That's unique for sure. And what kind of, uh, what kind of lead sources are, are common in your business? What kind of uh, lead sources? Yeah. Uh, what do you use for marketing? So, uh, for us, uh, our biggest one has to be the internet. Uh, we've done a lot of um, blogging and, and SEO over the years to try to increase our organic rankings on the Google, on Google and the internet in general. Um, our URL is 20 plus years old, so I think that helps. Um, we also just recently started doing quite a bit of radio advertising just as a way to try to fill the top of the funnel there and, and generate more leads or at least more opportunities for our sales team. And that's, that's made a difference. We've seen a jump in, in terms of our inquiries over the past two years that we've been doing that. Um, we also use HomeAdvisor, some other Yelp, um, some of those other lead generating tools um and then referral business referral business is probably one of our best lead sources over the years we've we try to do what we can to um make sure that our customers are extremely satisfied with with their jobs and um the work that we've done as well as you know really uh, getting back out there and servicing systems after they've been installed. So we have this constant communication and dialogue year after year with our customer base. Nice. Besides over delivering, do you do anything else to get referrals? Do you, do you ask for referrals at the end of every job or anything like that in any systematic way? No, we don't have any systems in place for that. We certainly probably should. I know a lot of companies do. We, we fall short in that, in that, uh, in that marketing channel, I'm sure. That's just curious. Yeah. It's always great to get referrals though. How about, um, is there a certain lead you find most profitable? Um, referrals. <laughs> Besides <laughs> referrals. <laughs> it up very, you know, makes me think we should really be doing a better referral. Yeah. Right, right. Right. You look at reports, you're like, wow, it's not costing us a lot. How do we get more of these? Yeah. Um, other internet leads are probably pretty, Organic internet 
leads are probably pretty good. I mean, if they've come through Google, that means they've seen our Google reviews. We have a five-star rating on Google, so that really helps. Um, You're killing it on Google, man. You have like a 5.0. Yeah. The surveys say that uh, that's too high. Like people don't trust yeah. that as much, but I, I know they're all real. So that's we get some bad ones. <laughs> Just to bring it down a little bit. Um, I, I would say organic internet traffic with Google. Uh, Home Advisor leads are probably my least favorite. I, they're tough. You're in very, you know, you could have three to six other companies in there. So you're fighting a tooth and nail for the business. So I think you, I don't know, you have like 50 plus uh, five star reviews, which is, you know, really exceptional. That's great. Nice job. Any, uh, anything special going on to get those reviews other than doing, you know, totally outstanding work for people? So the, the cruise, it, it comes, we, we have a rewards program in place for everyone in the company. So basically uh, every time we get a five-star review, everyone in the company gets 10 bucks. Wow. So we pay that wow. on a monthly basis. Last month was pretty expensive, but I guess that's good. <laughs> good for you. That's so it's awesome. Kind of a tiered program where five star reviews are worth 10 bucks, four stars are worth five bucks, three are worth nothing. And then you can also subtract by a two where one star review will take money back. Um, so th there's an incentive for the crews to A, do a very good job, get a good referral, um, or get a good review, and everyone in the company gets rewarded. Uh, I think it's important that Everyone understands that it's a team effort in, in getting this stuff done. It's not just one individual's performance. It's a, it's everyone's performance working together in tandem um, to deliver a, a positive customer experience from the minute they call the day day one they make that initial phone call to the you know the service coordinator contacting them to set up their annual system checkup. Love it. That's good for you. You know, people talk about that. No, that's a cool idea, but you actually have a system. I got to think it really supports your core values and it, it emphasizes, like you're backing it up with dollars. Like you're not just telling everyone, hey, our reviews work. I mean, they matter. They matter. It's like, well, they do matter. And, and I think it's, you know, I, I hear what you're saying about having so many five-star reviews, but uh, it's being generated because the, the crews are going out there. They're asking for reviews. They're saying, hey, if you're happy with our service, please give us a review. Nice. Um, I, I, I actually don't have any hesitation with our crews telling them it's a way to give us a tip. So many homeowners want to tip the crews. You can tip everyone in the company by giving them a five-star review. I, mean, I like it. Expensive. It costs me 200 plus dollars every time it happens, but. <laughs> it's worth it. It is. It is. It's awesome. Good for you. But, you know, you've been in business for a long time and you mentioned something in the beginning about, you know, moving away from commercial to residential. Is there anything else that you've modified along the years that uh, might be helpful to people? Um, I think one of the biggest lessons I learned probably quite back in 2012, um, we had a drought here that was pretty bad. So we had to look at other sources of revenue that weren't so dedicated to weather per se. Um, and we got into finishing and remodeling and it took me about six or seven years to figure out that we were not good at that. Um, mm. 
So that's a long time. <laughs> yeah, long time and a lot of money. Um, it was a it was it was a learning lesson um, that I'm glad happened. But I think what I learned from it was really understand what you're good at and and focus on diversification into things that you might be good at. And and what I mean by that is finishing and remodeling projects take four, six, eight weeks. You know, a waterproofing, a drainage system project, worst case, three to five days. We're really good at doing three to five day projects. We're excellent at it. We are not good at spending six to eight weeks with a homeowner. It's just not, it's, it's a completely different kind of communication. Sure. Completely different type of process. So I think the lesson I learned was identifying products and services that are very much in line with your processes that work really well and incorporate those into your business. And hopefully they can, you know, align with your market and what you're already doing. That makes sense. For sure. That was one of the biggest lessons I learned from it. or One of the biggest things I took away from it was it was just so contrary to how we, what we did um, and, and so different that it, it was very hard to incorporate into our structure. I get it. It's you, you articulated that very well as what a, what a valuable lesson and how, how much more powerful you are now that you're spending all of your time and resources into what you do best. So that's great. Yeah. And it's been a great, it's been a great decision. I mean, it was a lot of, uh, I mean, to, to give you some kind of reference in terms of how painful it was, it, it accounted for over half our revenue at the time. Wow. And it was like, it was really challenging to, to make the decision to be like, okay, we're going to stop doing this. And, and there was wow. a fair number of people that, thought I was insane and I get it, nice um, work. Nice but we weren't making, we weren't making any money. Customers weren't happy. We, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of things that weren't working about it. And it was a decision to get back to our core business, our core, um, core products. And since then we've replaced all that revenue with those core products and services. And it's been, it's been better for everyone. Nice job. Nice. Hey, let me jump back to a marketing question. Do you do anything to, to remarket your existing clients? Because I know you offer a lot of different products. Um, yeah, so we do that through our service department. So, so one of the things that we try to do in the service department, um, where we're going back out to customers who have sump pump systems or dehumidification systems, um, letting them know about bulkheads and egress windows and some of the other ancillary products that they might not have purchased or weren't aware of at the time that we offered. Um, we also do mailings, direct mailings, um, some email campaigns. I try to stay away from email just because I think uh, email marketing, people just immediately throw that away. Not that they don't do that with direct mail as well, but um so we're, we're retouching people with products and services that they just didn't buy. Sweet. So important. We had a situation um, when I had my company, but you know, we had customers that had been with us for 20 plus years and we had come up with a seven day battery backup system and someone on the South side of Chicago had lost their power 
and they didn't have power for you know a couple of days and their basement flooded and you know about six months uh, prior we had picked up this seven-day battery backup system so of course the service department you know offered it as a product and oh my goodness they went so off on us that we did not tell them that we had a new product that was available that could have been in their house when this water came and the electricity went off and they would have been protected like wow. phew, huge lesson for us like huge yeah, it, it is a challenge to to make sure everyone's aware of everything that you have available. Yeah. And especially like you're saying, as new products come online, doing what you can to get the message out. It's just not top of mind. You're so, I think you get really caught up in uh, getting it rolled out to new customers and getting it incorporated into your day-to-day -day activities that you forget about the thousands of customers <laughs> For Don't sure. Have any idea that this is available? For sure. Yeah, for sure. Hey, um, you have any words of wisdom or advice for the basement waterproofing or you know foundation repair company that's really want to get to the next level? You've been in this industry for a long time. I appreciate you sharing some of your struggles. You know, your commercial, residential, basement finishing. No, you know, got to stick with what we're good at. How do you get to the next level? Um, I think a lot of it. Uh, obviously a lot depends on what level you're at. Uh, I know early on, one of the biggest jumps for us getting from, you know, being in the field doing installs and estimates every day was actually getting a small office and getting somebody in that office, answering the phone and scheduling appointments and, and handling some of the customer service aspects of the business. Um, I think if you're smaller, that's a great first step in terms of getting to that next level. Um, it wasn't until that point that we really started to grow beyond um, just being out there in the field doing the work ourselves. And then uh, beyond that, I think once you get an office and somebody answering the phones, I think you can grow pretty steadily um, to a point where you're doing a couple to a million dollars a year. Uh, the next step after that is really I think stepping back and trying to get yourself out of the day-to-day -day of the business and focusing more on business development, hiring, how you get good people, your processes, systems, um, and developing all of that as more of an owner level type position versus being the one out there doing all the work. It's, it's, it's a tough transition. I'm trying to go through it myself right now. Um, but having people, hiring people, uh, answering the phone, showing up. I, I, I'm a big, big believer in just showing up. I, I, I can't emphasize that enough. It's a lesson I try to teach all my kids. Um, if you schedule something, just show up. Good things will happen. I, yeah. Sometimes in this business, you know, you'd be your competition out with somebody showing up, showing up yeah. on time and just trying show to up. do a good job. Show up and do what you say you're going to do. If you say yeah. you're Send a quote, send a quote. If, if you say you're going to follow up with some other information, just, just show up and do what you say you're going to do. So I'm hearing, you know, there's that time in your business where you're you're taking the calls, you're running appointments, you're doing the work, you're kind of doing everything. And then you go through another phase. It's like, man, we got to have people answering the phone. I can't be missing phone calls. So then maybe you're doing the work, but there's someone in the office kind of scheduling and then there's another phase where there's other there's people taking the calls, there's other people doing the work, and then you're working on your business, less in your business. Right. 
Nice. Yeah, it's 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 a progression, I think, over time. And as I think, as long as you're taking care of your customers and showing up and doing the things you need to do, it's it's not extremely hard to be successful at it. You got to do good work. I, I I'm a big fan of uh, Steve Jobs's focus on the product and how important it is that you pro- you have a good product. Um, and I believe that's that comes through in what we do as well. And selling is important and, you know, you've got to have leads and opportunities, mm-hmm. but you've got to be putting a good product out there. Um, Absolutely. And if you're not putting a good product out there, you're gonna, your business will be short lived. It'll, it'll, or, or it'll certainly be a challenge to grow it because you're just not, you don't have a good product. For sure. Hey, any, uh, any last words of wisdom that you'd want to pass along to the Basin Waterproofing Foundation Repair Room? Um, yeah. Like I said, I, I think just focusing on showing up and doing a good job for your customers. Uh, one of one of my biggest um, biggest thing I tell my people is, you know, a we're a team. B, yes, I may sign your check, but it's the customers who are paying your check. It's, mm-hmm. it's not me. It's this isn't some. <laughs> you know, I'm not sitting on stacks of cash. The the customer is the boss, and and we need to do our best to take care of the customer. That is a very nice core value to slip in there. I like I think a lot of people um, miss the fact that the customer truly is the boss. They're the one paying all the bills. They're the mm-hmm. one paying your paycheck. It, you know, I'm literally just a middleman helping facilitate all that. Chris, I appreciate you taking time on your schedule. I love what you shared. Probably 20 plus years of uh, experience you're passing along. Hope it's helpful for our audience and, um, Thank you again. So appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, Bill. It was fun. You've been listening to the Rainmaker for Contractors podcast, where basement waterproofing and foundation repair business owners and industry experts share marketing and sales information that helps you reach more customers. Please leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and get all of our show notes at rainmakerforcontractors.com slash podcast. 